like making some serious money. So at the end of Welcome back to episode 14 of the Young Startup. Today, we get to interview uh, a close friend of ours, actually someone that lives in the Lower Mainland, or I should say the Fraser Valley. He's out in the boons. <laughs> um, but his name is Dave McBeth. He's also in the Amazon space, but a little bit of a different approach. He does a lot of publishing, Kindle Direct publishing specifically. And I know he's in a couple different avenues within the ebook space, so to speak. So I'll let you introduce yourself, uh, Dane, if you can go ahead and tell us a little bit about your story. You know, how long have you been doing this um, and kind of where you're at right now? What exactly you do? Cool. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say thanks for having me on though first guys. And uh, yeah, my name's I'm Dane Beth. I'm from Abbotsford, BC. So I'm like, yeah, in the Fraser Valley. And in terms of online business, uh, I started around like, I actually started back in high school when I was doing like drop shipping through like Shopify and stuff like that. That's how it kind of got me into the whole online business space, e-commerce and stuff, but never really found any success with that kind of thing. Um, I tried FBA. It worked pretty decent for me. I was just too young at the time, didn't have enough money to get started with that. So I went decently. Um, I still want to get back into that eventually. Uh, but then about two years ago now, I guess, yeah, I guess two years ago, exactly. I got into um, Amazon KDP, which is Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing. So basically you publish yourself publishing books on Amazon and selling them to Amazon's customers. Um, we also do it through Audible as well. So I started about two years ago now and uh, I built that business up to around 40 to 50 individual books now. And uh, I'm not writing them. I'm actually hiring other people, some outsourcing things like ghostwriting, um, editing. So I don't actually write the books. I just find the topics and I get other people to write them for me. And I've kind of built that up uh, to around 40 to 50 books now. And it does pretty well. It does around, I don't know, in terms of numbers, it's like 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 per month. Depends on the time of year, uh, whether it's Q4, Q1. But yeah, so that's my my actual business. And then I do a coaching business as well, where I teach people exactly how to do what I'm doing, which is self-publishing. So that coaching business with the program, I started about back in about a year ago. Now I started with a free course and that moved into a paid program, which is now doing pretty well. And yeah, so that's been my whole story. Uh, and it's, things are going good, just kind of progressing day in, day out kind of thing. <clears throat> Cool, cool. I appreciate yeah. you sharing your story. Um, I loved how you know you've always been a hustler. Our podcast is called The Young Startup. We always like to interview people that started young with you know one direction in mind, and that's up at the end of the day. Um, and you mentioned you, know, you dabbled into dropshipping, you dabbled into Amazon. You've been into the e-commerce game, is what it sounds like. Tell me why. Yeah. What, what's appealing to you in terms of the e-commerce space? Oh, that's a good question. I I really got into things like it's actually pretty funny. I can go back to when I actually first started. That was back in like grade nine when I first downloaded Vine. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that app. <laughs> oh man, but, good times. Yeah, Vine was the OG for me. Um, that was when I first, that's when I got my first taste of online business. So I started growing um, accounts on there and then like brands would reach out and ask me to like do sponsored deals and publish them and I get payments through PayPal. And then that kind of turned into, okay, I should probably make my own store and sell my own products through Vine. So I kind of tried that. It didn't work very well. I was in like grade nine. I didn't know what I was doing. And eventually I started doing like Facebook ads and testing things out um, on the side. And I just never really, I didn't want to be like a doctor or anything. I knew that from the beginning. So I was like, I want to do my own kind of thing and see how it goes. And that just kind of spanned throughout high school. And then I guess I graduated 2017. So 
now we're just still doing it and it's going pretty well. I mean, I've had tons of bumps in the road, um, lots of print on demand stores as well as Shopify that went pretty good. I sold a couple of those. And then, like I said, I got into the FBA thing. So e-commerce has kind of been an underlying theme for me ever since I got into it in grade nine. And then now we're here. <laughs> Absolutely. You're ahead of the game to say the least. I mean, a lot of people are getting into e-commerce now because personally, I think COVID shifted a lot of consumer behavior. The fact that they now know the ability to purchase anything online. You think about Amazon, they're literally implementing softwares, technology that you can purchase pharmacies. Everything is literally going online and you just started early. You got a kickstart. I know Eric and I, we started about two years ago as well. So not as much as a kickstart to you, so to speak, but we still got in fairly early and it's just growing. It's been super, super lucrative for us. So that's awesome to hear. Now, um, a couple other things that you mentioned throughout the process, you kind of give us a little bit of background in regards to um, the KDP process. You don't necessarily write, you you essentially just do the outline and understand the topics and get people to write. Um, can we kind of dive in a little bit more in regards to that process of writing books and self-publishing? Just because, again, you're the first person we're talking to in regards to publishing on the podcast. Yeah. So just get a little bit of background uh, on in regards to what that looks like. Yeah. So yeah, you guys actually have an idea for it. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of saying reiterating things to you because you guys have been through what I've, I've taught already and you have, you have an idea for how the whole process works. Um, but for the people who are listening, it's like, yeah, it was totally, it's an interesting concept. Like when I first learned about it, I'm sure you guys can kind of relate. It's kind of like, man, I never even thought about that. Like, that's a pretty good idea. Just to get someone else to write it, handle all the hard work. And then you kind of do the, 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 the promoting and the selling and stuff on Amazon. It's not as difficult as doing the whole traditional publishing route that people are so used to. Um, so when it comes to what we do, um, mainly we're just finding popular topics on Amazon that uh, are not only in demand, but you have an interest in them. So you actually don't mind making the books about them in the first place. And you have a bit of knowledge in them, but you, you have the knowledge. If you wanted to write it, you probably could. But in order to save time and scale the business, it just makes more sense to hire an, uh, a ghostwriter who may or may not be even better at writing that topic for you. So basically hire ghostwriters through websites like Upwork, like freelance websites. Uh, there's a couple other ones, hot ghostwriters, stuff like that. Uh, we pick the topic, make an outline, usually eight to 10 chapters if you're doing a, a traditional book, which is usually like 30,000 words. Uh, and then give the, the outline, it's usually like 3,000 to usually 3,000 words or so, give that to the writer and then they'll write the book for you. It takes a month or so, however long it takes the writer to make it. They give it back to you. We do some editing. We hire someone else to do the editing or you can edit yourself, whatever. Uh, check for plagiarism, create a cover and uh, book description, stuff like that. All the stuff that goes into creating a book, upload it through Amazon and then we just run ads to it and run a launch and grow an email list. And there's tons of things you can do in order to monetize uh, the business, uh, growing the email list through the book and um, creating that that reader database over time is, is what will what grows the business. And uh, then we go we do other routes. I like can go on to um, external distribution websites where they'll send the books, physical books to bookstores like Barnes and Noble. And we do these through websites like Ingram Spark. Um, there's other ones too. And then we also create audiobooks if the book makes sense in audio format. Um, and we do that on Audible. So there's tons of different avenues of publishing. That's one of the things that's very cool. Um, yeah. Like from one single book, you can make um, like three different income streams, if you want to call them that, uh, through the physical book, the audiobook, and the ebook. So there's tons of things going on there. And if you can make one or two books per month that bring in a thousand each, you can imagine if you have 10 or 20 books that are solid contenders, um, you can make a lot of money with it. 
Um, Absolutely. Especially if you're interested in the topics that you're creating, it shouldn't even seem like work at one point, especially if you're a writer too. If you want to write some of the books and have a ghostwriter that works on the side, like a sidekick kind of thing, um, there's tons of, thing, tons of ways you can go about it. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty cool and totally customizable to your situation. So that's kind of what I liked about it. And that's kind of how it works. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Now, one, one thing I would like to chat about as well, <clears throat> obviously, it's, it's a very unique uh, situation. Now, you, you talked a lot about, you know, different revenue streams and, and doing things with, uh, you know, like print on the demand and all this kind of stuff. And what I kind of thought about that was like, you know, diversification. And that's so important these days. And uh, I know mm-hmm. KDP is very different, but for us being in the FBA space and, and the private label space as a whole, but Amazon limits us to how much information we can get from customers. So doing what you had mentioned, building out an email list, um, all of that kind of stuff is so important these days. Like how can we not just acquire the customer, but how can we retain that customer these days? Right. So important. And it makes your life a lot easier when you have additional books to launch and everything like that. Uh, But I'd love to learn a little bit more about your experience building that audience. Um, Has it been challenging? Uh, Is there anything in specific or any tactics in specific that you've used in your businesses um, or your books per se that has allowed you to, you know, get a customer email, for example, Um, all of these little things. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely a difficult process, especially in the beginning um, when you're brand new, uh, building an audience, as anyone would know, in any any niche, any kind of online business, mm-hmm. getting your start is obviously the hardest part. Um, after that, things roll and you get you turn into a system. Um, but with KDP and with books, uh, the main way we do it is through lead magnets in the book, call them freebie offers, whatever you want to call them. Um, put them in the book and it's basically, we give them some kind of free offer. It could be like a, a additional book, um, get like a, a ebook or something like that. Obviously we can't send them a physical book, but they go through the first page and they see, Hey, if you want this free book, if you want this free quiz, if you want this free, whatever that's related to the book topic, uh, all you got to do is go to this link and that link sends them to an external page where they can sign up for your email list. And in exchange for their email, we give them the free offer. So it's kind of, it's called a lead magnet. Uh, like every other online business talks about lead magnets. It's very important. Um, So that's what we do with books usually. And that works out pretty well. There's other external sources we can use. There's for reviews, for example, Um, obviously getting that email list and building it up. We can promote future books to that email list. We can promote other products, uh, everything else we sell. So it's kind of like an ecosystem, if you will, uh, once you start Mm -hmm. building that list. Um, But there are other, other avenues as well. There's things like there's one called um, books for out that allows you to create advanced reader copies, we call them. And uh, it's basically a link that sends a free version of your book before it launches. Um, You can send that to your list or you can find people on Facebook, Reddit, wherever it may be that fall within your niche and um, be like, hey, uh, I have a book coming out in the future. Um, I'll send you this link. Uh, It'll give you the book for free. And all I ask for is in exchange is a review once it goes live. Um, And then you can get their email that way as well. So there's tons of different ways to do it. Um, if I were to go into every single way, it'd take too long, but those are the two main ones that we utilize. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. Like once you build that list, it's definitely difficult in the beginning because you're doing a lot of cold outreach on like Facebook and Reddit and stuff. Hey, or read my book. Once you get that, the ball rolling, um, it gets a lot more simple. Um, and really all you need is a couple hundred people for it to be a really lucrative list that gets you emails that you can sell things to, especially if you have like higher ticket offers. Um, cause I know a lot of people, um we'll publish books and we can get into this a little bit later i'll just give it a breakdown lots of people will 
publish books and they'll use that as a lead magnet into their ecosystem or email list to sell their higher ticket offers. Um, it's obviously another way to make money, uh, but some people will just focus on the books in the front end and make money off that as well. So, I mean, if you have the books in the front end making money, plus your high ticket offers and everything, it can be really lucrative. Um, yeah. Just depends how you want to approach it. Absolutely. No, I understand that for sure. We were actually just on a call with a previous mentor and we we're talking about the product life cycle. So, you know, you're talking about the, the front end where it's hard. You're doing a lot of organic outreach. That's your introduction mm -hmm. stage. Like you're, you're trying to just build a name for yourself. You're probably going to have low sales. You're probably acquiring customers at, at, a, at a higher cost. But when you start to grow, when you start to build that email list, things start to increase in sales. You can re-leverage those people. Backend profitability increases, of course. Then you start to mature. You're probably in the maturity stage right now. You're just building and you're just adding and adding and adding. You've essentially cracked that code at that point. So um, I resonate with that as well. You, you know, you keep talking around. I think it keeps going back to diversification at the end of the day and omni-channel mm -hmm. as well right? Like being able to leverage your network, your customers through not just Amazon KDP, but through Audible, through um, Booksprout, through all these different things where you're acquiring customers. And I think that's so, so important because all said and done, you need multiple avenues, right? Because if you don't, what happens if Amazon KDP just randomly goes away, you need to be able to, and especially if you want to become a self-employed entrepreneur and you're taking this route in order to do that, you need to be, you need to build sustainability and, it, and it's best to do that through diversification and going omni-channel. So I think you've done an amazing job. One thing that I want to chat about is the differences between Amazon Seller Central and Amazon KDP and how underdeveloped <laughs> KDP is, which baffles me. It kind of blows my mind, to be honest with you. And the reason I say that is because Amazon started as a bookstore. <laughs> exactly. I know. That's what I always think too. It's hilarious how bad <laughs> it is compared to what you guys have going on over at Seller Central. I don't know if it sounds Seller Central very well, to be honest. Like it was a long time ago when I used it. It's probably way different yeah. now. I haven't logged in for a while. Um, Absolutely. Like, yeah, the KDP backend is awful. <laughs> yeah. A couple of the big differences is like reporting dashboard, right? Um, it's it, the, the dashboard in KDP is still considered a beta and it's been a beta for so long, right? I so know. that's one thing. Another thing that baffles me as well is the fact that you can get reviews that are unverified purchases. So again, going to Booksprout, they don't technically purchase it. You can get yeah. reviews onto your listing, which helps you with your launch. It helps you build social proof, helps you build credibility for a brand new pen name, whatever that looks like. And those reviews yeah. won't get taken down with, with Amazon physical products. That's not possible. As soon as someone leaves a review, Amazon, it goes through a due diligence stage. It most likely won't even get posted. Or if it does get posted, you, you will have a competitor probably reporting you and then that's getting taken down like the next day that's interesting yes yeah i wasn't even aware of that but i don't really doubt it um because amazon right now it's like they're super strict with the the review process and like you're saying i'm super surprised that they even let people leave reviews on books that aren't verified purchases like you're saying um and they show up uh so you can see like and there's stay. There's, there's different holes and it seems like it's it's back like five years compared to, to amazon seller central and mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's because obviously the physical product world on Amazon brings in a lot more money um, as a whole compared to just the small little book segment, even though Amazon started as a bookstore, um, yeah. there's tons of money flowing into that. So I'm assuming they put more of their focus into it, um, For sure. but I can definitely see uh, Amazon laying down the law in the future when it comes to reviews and stuff with KDP, because like you're saying, it just doesn't make sense if, because um, people could totally game the system. Um, if, they, if, if they're into that kind of thing. Uh, and like you're saying with Southern Central, I didn't even know that, but that's kind of interesting that they don't even let that kind of thing squeak through. 
Yeah. No, 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 exactly. It's uh, I don't want to say it's a hassle. I think, I think they're doing, I think they're doing it right. It makes sense for them to have verified purchases. But what I'm trying to say is like, Hey, for anyone looking to get into KDP, like this is the time, like I said, it's underdeveloped. The restrictions aren't crazy, but it's booming. A lot of people yeah. such as Dane are developing courses around these things because there is massive opportunity. Eric and I, we do three to 4k on a monthly basis in royalties. Now ad spend, we're probably running 2k profit. And that's honestly based off of one book. That's just been crushing it. We have like three or four. Um, but one book is where we're really putting our emphasis. So that kind of shows opportunity. Um, That's really good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Well, really let's good. chat. Let's actually chat around like startup costs then, because again, I think KDP is a great avenue for people wanting to dabble into the e-commerce space that don't necessarily have a ton of capital. What does mm -hmm. it take to you know, in terms of time and in terms of cost to develop, um, let's say a thirty thousand a thirty thousand word long form book? Yeah, um, I just want to I just want to mention, like you said, before I get into that. Um, with the uh, being new, it's definitely a newer, I guess, UI. It's not, it's definitely outdated for sure, but the whole platform and everything is definitely new, especially when you get onto things like Audible. Um, Audible doesn't even have ads yet. Like it's literally just, it's just like a platform you put your book onto and it relies solely on SEO. So um, Audible is so new and there's so much opportunity with audiobooks. And obviously, audiobooks are humongous right now. People love audiobooks and just listening to the, the books as they read them. So, um, you're, you're totally right. And it's convenient, like you're saying. Yeah. And it's just, um, it's the blue ocean right now with KDP. Um, even though it's been around forever, um, people still haven't really figured it out. And I think people are starting to. So, yeah, it's a good time to get into it. And like you're saying, um, getting into it is, it, it, it's not too difficult. Um, the, the startup costs aren't super high. Uh, you know, there's, there's no physical inventory with KDP. So they print the books on demand. So when a, when a customer orders it, um, Amazon prints it at their facility and ships it to you. So you don't need, you don't need like a pile of inventory with KDP. Um, so when you get into it, it the, the main startup costs are going to be hiring your writer. Um, I don't know if you guys have done that uh if you've just done your books yourself or if you hired writers yeah you have actually I yeah, talked yeah, about we hired. Yeah. so you, you guys have an idea for how all the things work um so hiring your writer usually writers uh if you're you're going for high quality it's gonna you're gonna get around the a thousand dollar mark a uh, thousand to fifteen hundred bucks is is a high quality writer for a thirty thousand word book and typically speaking a thirty thousand word book is what you're aiming for there's two different avenues you can go thirty thousand word books or you can go with lower content books and there's also ones in between that I call DIY style books and DIY meaning do it yourself. You can do them yourself or you can hire a writer. They're usually around 15 K words. Um, so typically speaking, um, I'll go the 30,000 word route first year. So like I said, around $1,500,000 will get you a very high quality written book. Some people get away with 750. Uh, it's depending on your niche and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then after that, hiring people like I guess editors, formatters, that'll usually cost you a couple hundred bucks, under $500 though. So I guess we're still under the, around the 1500 range here. Um, and then adding on things like getting a cover made, um, you can go up to like four or $500 with covers, or you can get $10 covers and they, they actually turn out quite well. Uh, you do that with things like Fiverr and stuff like that. And it's actually a good way to test out a cover before you go all in on an expensive one. Cause you can always update it in the future. Um, so that all together, um, and you can outsource as many things as you want, but those are the things we usually outsource editors, writers, formatters, cover designers. And then um, once it's live on Amazon, Amazon ads, like you said, you guys are spending around two grand per month. You don't have to do that. That's just what you guys are comfortable with spending. And that's what's working for you right now. Um, mm -hmm. The first month, I like to call it the launch phase. Most people call it that. 
um, usually around $500 to $1,000 in ad spend is a good budget to have to get your book launched and ranking organically on Amazon. Um, so at that range, I guess you're looking at around $1,500 to $2,000, $2,500 uh, to get into it, get your foot in the door. And the nice thing with KDP um, is that you can cut costs if you want to. You can create lower content books. You can actually get in and create the books for yourself. So you're actually cutting out that initial writing cost of uh, $1,500 if you don't have that startup cost. I suggest if you have that money, go that way. But if, you, if you're able to create books yourself, uh, write them in the beginning and start getting that cash flow and then recycle that cash flow and invest it into more books in the future, you can yeah. do that as well, right? So there's tons of different ways you can get into it. And it's not like locked out is, is the nice thing for people who, if you don't have any money to start with, you can still get into it. That's, that's the nice thing about it. Um, so there's different, it, it, it can work for anyone is the nice thing. Uh, and that's the, the free route is what I'm talking about is about the DIY style books. And then after that, the same thing occurs, I guess, in the first month or so, you probably want 500 to a thousand bucks. So you're cutting off $1,500 with DIY style books in the beginning. Um, you're just getting into that ad spend of $500 in the first month to a thousand bucks to get it rolling. But yeah, so there's different, different avenues you can take, um, which is nice about it. Uh, you get yeah, it for yeah. free if you want beginning, or you can put some money towards it it's up to you can really bootstrap it so there's no there's like if somebody wants to get into e-commerce to get their foot wet like all you all, all you need to do is trade your time and create something for yourself right and you could yeah. literally bootstrap it to the to the point where you're only spending a like 10 bucks on a cover type of a thing everything else you can do yourself through yeah. learning yeah. yeah and in the program i talk about all that kind of stuff there's definitely i talk about different routes and i think you guys have gone both routes you've done diy sub books and you've done yep um written books so you know exactly the feel for both of them um mm. and like i said you don't need to spend two thousand a month uh on ads it's totally dependent on your niche and all that kind of things too like keywords will cost more in different niches for bidding yeah, on yeah. ads um but yeah like you could spend a couple hundred bucks a month and still make thousand profit depends on your niche and all that kinds of stuff but yeah, as you guys probably know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'd like, yeah. I'd like to kind of go into, I, I really, I really like the conversation around differences between Amazon FBA physical products and Amazon KDP um, direct publishing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I really want to chat and kind of go further in regards to like saturation, competitiveness. You know, a lot of people who. Who, who want to enter the Amazon game and, and get into private label or get into wholesale, they think it's too saturated. I, I always shut them down. I always think that there's so much opportunity that you just need to find the right opportunity and then, and then just kind of pigeonhole yourself into that. When it comes mm -hmm. to competition um, on KDP, what would you say that kind of looks like right now? Would you say that there's still a ton of opportunity out there? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's actually... It's a good topic of conversation because less they're like it, it's only getting more competitive. People don't realize that. Like it, it the best time to start is now. Like the more you wait, yes. the more competitive it's gonna get. Um 100%. and with KDP, um, like I said, Audible is is very new. Like that is not very competitive at all. And there's tons of stuff to get into with that. I don't even think we've scratched the surface with with Audible. There's not even ads on there. You can't even run ads on there. So once you start running ads on that, it might get a little bit more competitive, but Audiobooks are, like I said, it's kind of blue ocean right now. You can get in there and do well. Um, with KDP, it's a little bit different. It's been around for a while. It's eBooks and paperback books only. Um, so it's definitely a little bit more competitive than Audible. I wouldn't say it's super competitive. And the thing with books is that there's, there's, there's tons of niches already, tons of categories you can get into. There's fiction, there's nonfiction. And then within those, there's tons of stuff you can write books about. 
Um, but with books, like there's always new stuff popping up too. So like, I mean, there's always new categories to get into new uh, opportunities. There's always new, um, trends going on that you can dive into as well. And there's different seasons around the year. You can make books about seasons, different holidays. Like people just, (laughs) if people think it's too competitive, I just think they're closed-minded and a bit scared to get into it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it's, I'm assuming it's pretty similar in FBA. Like there's always new products and stuff you get into. There's always new niches. Like it's not like it's, it, it's going to get tougher. Don't get me wrong. It's getting more and more competitive, but it's just going to get more competitive. So get in now um, because it's not too difficult right now. And we're just on the cusp of stuff. Like, like you're saying in the beginning, like with COVID and stuff starting out um, mm-hmm. over the past year, like people are turning online and it's just, the boom is just starting. Um, people don't really see it, I think, but. They will eventually, especially if they wait around and don't get into it, they'll, they'll, they'll regret it. hundred <laughs> percent. I, I agree, man. I, I, I 100% agree. Like, I think what it comes down to is, is the mindset of people not being in business. And that's why I love to have these conversations because we've been doing it for the past couple of years and it puts into perspective, especially because our, our audience here is, is a lot more younger people, so to speak. So hearing it from other young people. Um, I think is the next, next best thing for them to hear. And then for them to go ahead and take action, even like, for example, Walmart, Walmart now has, Walmart is essentially turning into an Amazon. I don't know if you knew that, but Walmart is letting people sell private label product um, or resell or even drop ship through their platform and things along those lines. They have their own fulfillment centers and that's a brand new thing. Eric and I are going to want to get into that by the end of this year as well, because we learned the hard way that Amazon, we could have got into it in 2017, but we got into it in 2019 and we saw the competitive, the competition <coughs> rise, right? So I like how you said the best time to start is now because I, I 100% agree. And I think KDP is a great avenue to do that because you can really get in with very, very minimal costs, get your feet mm-hmm. wet, see if it's something that you like to do and then kind of capitalize it. Um, and you also mentioned like, you know, get cash flow get profits and reinvest back into it. I'm a big fan of that. Eric and I teach that from a mindset component as well, because at the end of the day, a business is a business. If you don't refeed it, you can't, again, with the product life cycle, you're eventually going to mature and then you don't want to be stable and you don't want to decrease and get out of that product life cycle. You always need to be increasing your products, your books, whatever avenue you take for your business. And what that's going to create is sustainability and diversification. That's how you really excel in business. And that's how you go ahead and quit your job I think you mentioned that you, you ended up quitting your job. You're, you're just doing this full time now. Yeah. About a year ago. So I think in March oh, yeah. last year, so a little bit over a year now. And I've just been doing this since then. And it's cool for sure. Um, and like you're saying, like I started out the same way most people do it. And in the program, I call it the um, limited budget recycling method. So <clears throat> basically it's when, like you're saying, you take your initial profits, reinvest them, and then just keep doing that until you start to see profits. You can always take profits out of the business, but if you want to keep growing it, scaling it, um, putting them back in is kind of the way to go. And then just keep growing it over time. Um, and Absolutely. not using the, that money for dumb purchases. I think reinvesting, it's always the, the good way to go, especially in the beginning. Agreed. Another thing that I I really like about KDP was, or is, is the seasonality and the trends, right? With Amazon, we typically tell people, or with Amazon private label and physical products, we typically tell people to stay away from that because you need to invest in so much on the front end with cap or so much capital on the front end with inventory, right? And and for any reason that product doesn't sell, you're now stuck with thousands and thousands of dollars of inventory that you can't sell, right? With KDP, Typically speaking, if you can get something ready and launch prior to a holiday, prior to a season, and you can tailor to that, you can easily make your money back because of the minimal investment that's required for a book. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, It's 
<clears throat> excuse me, like you're saying, it's not, it's not nearly as big as a, of a risk. Um, if you're comparing the two in that area with the seasons and holidays, uh, and it's a nice way to test the seasons and holidays too. Cause like, even if the, if the book doesn't sell, it's not like you have all that inventory to worry about. It's just, you maybe put mm. a couple hundred bucks, 500, dollars into the book and it doesn't sell. You might sell a few copies and make some of your money back. You might even break even. Uh, it's just like over time it might, it might take off and that book might sell during that season every single year from there on very like quite a bit exactly. it'll die out in the other times of the year but you have that book on there if you can hit all the different seasons and all the different holidays throughout the year then maybe you have a book that or you have books that just consistently sell over each every single season throughout the year and that that's also something you can focus on but yeah you're right testing each one is not too difficult and if it doesn't work out it's not like a huge loss so that's nice about it yeah totally <clears throat> Yeah, you can walk away, walk away from things. I mean, I, I've heard some horror stories of people on Amazon, and this doesn't happen because ideally people are making calculated decisions on how much inventory they need to order and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people have had to liquidate inventory, and that is number one, you're paying for that, and then you're not getting a lot of your money back. So um, it's kind yeah. of a lose lose, of course. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's interesting. It's a uh, it's a very low risk, um, different type of competition, and it's okay to have seasonality. Whereas in Amazon, it's like, we don't really preach that because you, you don't want to be sitting on inventory. You have to pay storage costs, all of these little things. Um, yeah. Two different ballparks, of course. Mm-hmm. What is your process? So like for, for seasonal, seasonal based or holiday based product or uh, book, sorry. Um, obviously you won't get any volume after that season or after that, uh, that trend or that holiday. Um, but let's say next year it spikes back up. Of course, like season, the season picks up or the holiday comes back. Do you, uh, do you go through like a relaunch phase um, prior to like a month before something to make sure that you're re-ranked? What does that look like? Yeah, no, it's a good, good question. Um, the thing with the seasonal books is that once you get them ranking the first time, um, usually they'll, they'll stay pretty consistent because when it dies down, all the books that you're competing with die down. So it's not like you're, there's going to be mm. new books coming in and, and forcing you out. You're kind of going to hold your spot pretty consistently throughout the year. Um, there's going to be new ones. Mm. Like you're going to fall a little bit. Um, so I'll definitely... Um, I'll usually just let them sit. I don't run ads to them when it's not really around their season. Usually there's like a two month period before two months of the holiday. And then after about a month, the holiday, and then it kind of slows down. So I guess it's like three months total where you're going to get some sales for that, that individual book depends on the season though. If it's a Christmas book, it might sell for four months. Um, beforehand, like after Christmas, it's not going to sell a whole lot, but beforehand, like during Q4, October, November, December, it'll sell a lot. Um, but during the, the off season, I guess you can call it, um, Usually uh, I'll, I'll run ads like two or three months out just to get it kind of re-ranking and in people's faces, get people seeing it. And uh, sometimes you'll get return customers seeing it again. They'll buy it like a month later, um, but it doesn't really fall. Cause yeah, like I said, um, the competition uh, is all in the same niche and they're all in the same boat. And like the sales for the other books are going to go down as well. So it's not super difficult to get it re-ranking. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And um, Eric said something I was going to reply to. I forget what he's talking about. What did you say before before Brian asked me the question? There? <laughs> I was talking about um, was little risk, no inventory, um, different yeah. seasons. I kind of had a little tangent there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right. It, it, there is little risk. And the thing is, um, compared to FBA, like I'll, I'll compare the two again um when it comes to uh publishing there's so many different ways you can get into it i talked about diy and uh 
30,000 word books, which is the higher content books like I, like I talked about. Um, but there's also a lower level called like low content books, which are like journals and, and, and coloring books for kids. And that's mm. the area, like, this kind of goes back to saturation and it also relates to seasonality. So that's why I was going to get into it. But the saturation thing, the low level, I don't really teach that in my program because it's so saturated and easy to get into. The barrier for entry is so low. Um, yeah. Compared to FBA, I don't think there's really that level probably. There's no category kind of thing that's like super easy to get into. You have to pay up front for that inventory. So that's one thing with KDP, it's a little bit more difficult to deal with. So I just don't even teach it um, for people to get into it. You can get into it for free, but there's more competition. It's harder to compete with. Um, having that moat or that barrier like you guys have in FBA is a little bit nicer because um, there's less competition, I guess, just plain and simple um, to deal with. And the low, the low quality books and all that kind of stuff is kind of frustrating. Um, and the low quality books kind of tie into the seasonality things. A lot of those low content books deal with Christmas, deal with Halloween, deal with uh, Valentine's Day, whatever it may be. Um, mm. So you got to compete with those guys as well. Um, but like I said, the sales volume usually drops off and you're all in the same boat when it's off season. <laughs> if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing, one thing I always preach as well, cause um, you know, when I, when I teach like PPC and advertising and all that kind of stuff, I always mm -hmm. talk about like in an Amazon business, you're always going to have like your best selling period, but you're also going to have like your best selling days of the week. Um, so one thing I always say, like in order to capitalize on those, those days of the week or those best selling periods, well, first off, it's a lot easier when you're selling the product, for example, for a whole year, because then you can understand where your spikes are and everything like that. Or if the, mar or the product's been selling on the market for a year, then you can kind of understand where things pick up. Um, and as a smart business person, adapt to changes, right? So, you know, if demand mm -hmm. is higher, intent, is, and intent to purchase is higher, throw more budget at it because, you know, you, your conversion rate is going to be higher. People are going to purchase more. Um, and as long as you know that your ad or your campaigns are very profitable, uh, don't be afraid to spend a little bit more on ads. Um, and the same thing every single week. So, for example, when, when somebody's starting off um, in... In the, in the space and they're like, you know, they're working with a smaller PPC budget, for example, I said, okay, so what you really want to do is like, let's say you have a hundred or $200 you want to spend every single day, um, allocate that to the campaigns that are doing the best. Right. And then for example, if like, like right now, and this changes from season to season for us, but right now our, our best selling days are Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. However, in Q4, our best selling days are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Right. So mm -hmm. what we do is that campaigns that are, are crushing it are really profitable. We have a low ACOS. Um, what we do is we reallocate budget from, you know, maybe the campaigns that aren't doing so well to the doing well. Um, so that's like smart business moves and, and money talks at the end of the day. So, uh, yeah. that's kind of what I got with like the seasonality aspect of the things, but it's also like week to week, day to day, like what can you do to maximize or get the most visibility for your products? And if that means spending a little bit more on advertising, if we can get a positive ROI out of it, hell, why, why not? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And like when it comes to ads and stuff like that too, with selling just any kind of product, especially with books though, um, like you're talking about just the, the small little micro optimizations are what mm -hmm. over time doing those consistently. Um, those are usually what prove to be the big difference makers. Uh, and lots of people are looking for, uh, especially when I got into it, you're always looking for like the, the big, the big, the big moment and the yeah. big change, like <laughs> the one thing that you're going to change. And it just does just your whole business takes off, but people usually don't realize that it 
requires patience and doing, like you said, the micro optimization day in, day out, going in, changing things, especially with ads. Like you said, ads are really important. Um, but with books, like changing the covers, changing your book descriptions, changing a few words here and there, uh, it can really make a big difference. And I've learned that a lot with books and even with the program that I'm selling. Uh, the funnel that people come into, changing, optimizing ads every single day, uh, optimizing the the headline, people to sign up. So small little tweaks, like even changing. Yeah, like, this is a stupid one that I realized a few days ago, but like just the page load time. When it comes to like, uh, I was using like ClickFunnels for a landing page. I switched to a different one called Drop Funnels, and like the load time for ClickFunnels was so slow. Like the initial sign up page compared to the Drop Funnels one. Like now that it's way faster, I'm getting way more people sign yeah. up because people are just so impatient. So this is just an example of like micro changes uh, mm-hmm. in optimizations. Uh, yeah, makes, we, it, people don't really see the difference right away, but it, it adds up over time. <clears throat> yeah. So. Yeah. One, one thing, and, and we learned this the hard way as well. Like um, we call it split testing in the Amazon space. So it's like, okay, testing one variable at a time, isolating one variable at a time. So important because if you go and test five different things, you won't know where the actual change come from comes from. Um, like one of our main products that is our, our biggest driver of sales, we've probably changed the main image like 40 times, right? And it's not huge changes. Sometimes it's, you know, the product is turned to the left, turned to the right. Maybe uh, some of the items on the product is moved from the left side to the right side. Not big changes, but you'd be surprised at, um, you know, consumer behavior and how they act, so on and so forth. So as soon as we see a decline in something, conversion rate, if we see a decline in sales, we start to diagnose why. Um, and a lot of the times it leads to us, okay, well, conversion rate looks like it dropped 2%. Why don't we do a split test on a new image, uh, main image, because that's why that's where people click our product, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or click our product over everybody, uh, everybody else's. And we go see if we can find a better image, right? And we're doing over and over tests. Now, a lot of the times, you know, we may make that change and it doesn't necessarily perform as well as we wanted it to. Um, so mm-hmm. we'll just change it back, right? Simple, yeah. simple things like that, but always taking some form of a, uh, a variable or a factor. And I guess you can call it a hypothesis and, and testing on that hypothesis to see if you can get, you know, like those little results, Right. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I always say like conversion rates huge. Um, if you have a 20% conversion rate and you bump that up to, to 25%, um, if you're doing a thousand, you know, if you're doing a, a thousand views per day, for example, that that's a lot of money that you can put in your pocket by doing a small, small change and not affecting anything else. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's a great example. They just like those little things over time, the, the change that they can make is drastic from such a tiny little change. Um, and yeah. that's so important to always focus on one thing, like you're saying, because uh, that's why you do it in micro optimizations. Because if you do one big change with like, a bunch of different things, like you don't know which one is making the difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah, definitely. I think, definitely important. <clears throat> I think the, tan- the little tangent that we're going on here is so important for anyone who either is in business or looking to get in business. You can't stay stagnant. In order to grow consistently, you always need to be optimizing. Therefore, you always need to spend time in your business and looking at the metrics. Data does not lie. Always look at the data, make educated decisions on what you can change as soon as possible. Test that, see if it does, and then make and cut decisions as soon as possible, right? That's the way to do it. That's how you, that's how Eric and I have always grown. I know that's probably how you're growing significantly as well, but we're big into data. We're big into optimizing. And we learned that the hard way. The first year, we're like, hey, let's put a product on Amazon and let's let it sit and see what happens. I think that first year, like our, our peak month was 10K. We probably, I think over like an eight-month period, we did 80K in revenue. 
next month, next year, we're like, okay, we need to pick things up. No, not only do we need to build a more sustainable product line, but we also need to be more attached to the business itself. And then we were able to do $600,000 the next year. So growth like that, you don't see that just by staying (laughs) stagnant. You always need to be optimized. You always need to be doing more. You always need to be learning, which kind of gets me to my next point, Mm -hmm. learning, development, mentorship. What's your take on that? I know obviously you're going to say that it's needed and I'm, I'm a big fan of mentorship. We've spent like, I'm pretty sure like a hundred thousand dollars over the past two years here in mentorship. It's, it's pretty crazy, but we always like to learn from people's mistakes as opposed to us making those mistakes. That's the way that I always see it. There's a return yeah. on your investment. Exactly. And like what you just said is, is obviously proof in the pudding for that because like you said, you went through the first year you did 80k and then um you obviously optimize things and i'm assuming during that time you didn't do that with just from your own knowledge you had people helping you and showing you the the way to go um and when there's like six different routes you can take um it's nice to have that person to tell you just go down this one and that's what's going to take you to the right destination right exactly um so obviously i think mentorship is, is is key when it comes to that kind of thing like just think about it. if you guys didn't have that like you probably be your time would be doubled right now on testing different things um but since you had that mentorship all of your learning and all the process has been cut in half or even more and you've already gotten to that level in such a short amount of time um exactly. and the same thing yeah. same thing with me and like i i learned from other people i've had tons of people teach me different things and uh at the end of the day like i think it's just so valuable um and people who disagree with that are usually people who um, haven't had the experience of mentorship before, uh, whether it just be teaching in a program or like one-on-one sessions, whatever it may be. Um, and they're trying to do things on their own and it's, it's worked for them. But once you get that mentorship and you get the time cut in half, the learning process, and they point you in the right direction, um, it makes all the difference. Um, mm, like yeah. we're all pretty, we're all pretty young, young, young guys. Um, and we've learned quite a bit in the past few years, a lot more than a lot of other people have. And it's just because of other people helping us, right. And guiding us in the right direction. So exactly. yeah, um, I'd even, I'd even say that? like the people that haven't seen the value of mentorship, I'd say they're bad business people. Sorry if I rubbed yeah, or anyone, scared. The, yeah, <laughs> or rubbed scared, anyone yeah. the wrong way there, but the way that I always look at it is you can't learn everything in the world. You can't go find everything on YouTube. There's always additional strategy people keep as a secret or they, they keep competent to their own process. So in my opinion, in order to see accelerated growth, in order to see accelerated development, you need to have someone holding your hand, you're learning from, you're learning from their mistakes, you're adopting their processes, their best practices, and you're building and growing your business. And now, quite frankly, one thing that I want to mention is not everything they teach may not be relevant to you, but it's important mm-hmm. to constantly develop yourselves and figure out what is working and continue to do that. It's always, again, coming back to like split testing, optimization, find what works, continue doing what's worked. Find what doesn't work, stop doing what, what doesn't work. It's as simple as that. It's not a, a crazy recipe or anything like that, but um, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know. And especially younger people, I, I want to put a, another example and, and, and some perspective in here. But Eric and I, quite frankly, we joined a course, but we didn't really have a mentor when we first started on Amazon. What, what did that yield? It, it yielded us one, two years of work or two years of selling that we didn't end up doing. Two, we probably spent like two, $3,000 worth of mistakes because we weren't open to asking the questions. We've always been independent people. We've always tried to figure things out on our own. But as soon as we started asking, we always went dollar for dollar. We traded, we traded, we put in money. We saw a return on it, at least a break even, if not more than that. So that's the way that 
in my, in my opinion, mentorship, development, training, all these different things need to be looked at because in my, yeah. in my experience, you save not only time, but you also save a ton of money as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of um, yeah, like that's what matters, right? And um, a lot of it, like you said, comes down to just ha- being either bad business, scared, or you have that ego that's just like, I- I'm the best. I don't need to learn anything else. Um, and that's yeah. what people need to kick out of the way. Like you, even if you're, if, if you consider yourself successful or you, you've gotten some success, like you always need to be a student of, of your craft and other things too, like learning. And like you said in the beginning, diversifying, getting better at other things. If you've done well in this one area, get better at it, but continue to do other things and diversify and, and create more income streams and always, always learning over time. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's so exactly. key. Uh, if you don't, uh, if you don't focus on that kind of thing and you just kind of, once you get there, it's like, okay, I've done my work. Uh, I don't really need to do anything else. Like you're not just going to sit there and plateau. You're going to not only plateau, but you're going to fall down too. Like it, you're going to go right back down. You know, so you need to keep progressing, keep learning and, and keep, um, innovating, I guess like that's, that's, what's most important, uh, with yeah. mentorship. And that's, that's where mentorship comes in and helps you, uh, guide you down the right path and get and progress even more. <clears throat> yeah, totally. Um, good lesson. Uh, one of our mentors taught us, um, was essentially like, you should be going to what's hard. Like if it's not hard, if it doesn't make you uncomfortable, if you're not being challenged, then you're not, you're not essentially growing and you will plateau and you will, you will get bored of what you're doing. And that's where you lose, you know, insight and passion of what you do. And I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, entrepreneurship is not just, um, you know, the ability to do things for yourself and build a business and everything like that, but it's more so, you know, it's the skills and the attitude that comes with it. And what people don't realize is that if you build a business in this area, a lot of the skills that you build here are going to be applicable here. And then also here, and then also here, right? So taking mm-hmm. up as much as you can. Yes, it's good to focus in on one thing, get really, really good at it and then expand. But, um, you know, I, I've always taken on more than I could chew. Um, and it's not because um, like I, I see like shiny object, I'm going for it, but it's more so like I want to stretch myself. What more can I learn? And every yeah. single time I've done that is like, I'm just like, okay, damn, like, you know, what I did here is very applicable here. So it's like a very easy in, but if I, step in and you know realize like i never if i never took the step in and did that took that one little action then i would have never known that a lot of this stuff was applicable so um mm-hmm. i'm a big believer of that and yeah i love where this conversation went because i think uh i think a lot of people especially early on like young individuals people with ambition don't know how to get started um yeah. sometimes it's just about taking that first step yeah just getting over that hurdle and uh, not being afraid, uh, just embra- embracing things. Cause yeah, like, <laughs> like you said, um, what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Um, exactly. And when it comes to learning, like you have to keep progressing in order to do that. You have to do things you're uncomfortable with. And once you see that thing that's uncomfortable, it's like, this is good. Like keep pushing for it. Cause you, you know, that something good is going to come out of it. Uh, it's good if you're scared cause you're going to progress if you get through that thing. So that's always been something I yeah. thought about as well. I agree with yeah, that. Exactly. <clears throat> Cool, man. Well, this was great. This is a great conversation. It's always good connecting with you, Dane. Um, appreciate you coming on. I'd love to uh, just wrap things up here. You know, one thing we always like to ask is, um, you know, our audience again is, is people, a lot, a lot of people are young. They don't know where to get started. Don't know how to get started. So um, share one piece of advice um, that, you know, looking back at when you started that you wish you had um, knowing the process and the progress that you've made over the past couple of years um, so what, what's that one piece of advice you'd give little Dane and then give yourself out, like, where can people find you? Um, 
we'll drop all the links down below, but people find you, uh, drop your, your program name, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it definitely ties into what we've been talking about at the end here, uh, the whole mentorship and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but in my opinion, like in the beginning, um, people are so caught up in, um, what to do and what's going to be the absolute best thing to do and the most direct route to success. And I'll just be honest with you. You're not going to find that direct route to success right in the beginning. You're going to have to try things and, and explore things and try different things and see what you like and see what you don't like. Cause you don't know if you're going to end up liking it in the long run. Uh, you don't know if you're going to end up hating it in the long run. So you just got to start up with whatever, whatever business model you choose to get into, whether it be KDP, FBA, uh, Shopify dropshipping, try them in the beginning um see what goes good and then whatever you like the best is something you should stick to and, and go all in on and don't get that shiny object syndrome like you said stick with it and and do not let other things uh, distract you because as soon as you get those distractions um uh I've, I've experienced this in the beginning like just trying a bunch of different things you get spread thin and things just don't work out so it's so important to figure out what you like in the beginning and then stick to it and don't let anyone else <clears throat> waver you out of that direction and get that mentorship because it's going to point you in the right direction. And, um, I just, I find it so valuable. Uh, if I, if I never had a mentorship, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today with all these different things. Uh, and you guys can obviously attest to that as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. so yeah, that, that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, that's what I would tell myself. If I was going back in time. Uh, don't, don't get the shiny object syndrome and stick to one thing after you figure out what you like the best. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. Uh, and I guess you said social medias. I don't know. My, my YouTube channel is just my name, Dan Macbeth. Um, if you guys want to learn more about Kindle Drive Publishing or just online business, I talk about stuff on there. Um, about a thousand subscribers away from 10K. So we're almost there. It's been a grind. So if you guys can go on there and subscribe, that'd be much appreciated. Um, <laughs> that and uh, the program is called Publisher Supremacy. You can message me on Facebook at Dan Macbeth if you want to learn more about that. Um, I also talk about it on my YouTube channel. So yeah. Cool. All righty, Dane. Well, it's been a pleasure and uh, yeah, we appreciate taking the time. Hope you have a good one, man. Thanks for yeah, coming on. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Have a good All day. Right. Have a good week. Yeah, you Yo. too.